Good morning and welcome. My name is Beverly Lapp. I'm uh, part of the Convocation Committee uh, that um, planned today's event, and I'm delighted to welcome you here today. This is our first convo following the fall break, and I encourage you to uh, take a careful look at the remaining events and, and take advantage of those. I've lost my whole sense of humor and have just become a bag of stress. This is bad. This statement, which I read on Twitter last night, was in reference to this year's election and summed up for me my current struggle. Although I don't think I've lost my sense of humor, the idea of being a bag of stress resonated with me. I'm not sure what I would do without good work and good people to, dis to distract me and help me keep perspective to some degree. And yet, it is a challenge to not carry anxiety about the national conversation and this election. I was 11 when I first became very aware of politics. It was the year Jimmy Carter lost to Ronald Reagan, and in observing my parents' intense level of worry about the outcome, I learned that politics gets strong reactions from people. Ever since I've cared about politics and felt somewhat on edge as any election approaches, this year, however, feels different. The national conversation bears this out. Yesterday in the New York Times, David Brooks' column was titled, The Epidemic of Worry, and he wrote, we've had a tutorial on worry this year. The election campaign isn't really about policy proposals, issue solutions, or even hope. It's led by two candidates who arouse gargantuan anxieties, fear, and hatred in their opponents. He goes on to say, as a result, some mental health therapists are reporting that three-quarters of their patients are mentioning significant election-related anxiety. An American Psychological Association study found that more than half of all Americans are very or somewhat stressed by this race. And he uh, then says, of course, there are good and bad forms of anxiety, the kind that warns you about legitimate dangers and the kind that spirals into self-destructive thoughts. End of quote. So although my friend Jason Samuel, faculty in the communications department, told me to stop worrying so much the other day and claimed he has no stress about politics, I'm not sure I fully believe him. But it was a good reminder that we each respond differently. Some of us can't stop checking certain websites to see how the polls are shifting. Some of us jump in and work in on voter registration and turnout. Others of us stay less attached to the constant news and instead focus on what we can do in our communities. Some rely on faith and convictions to see a bigger picture, and hopefully all of us have ways to take care of ourselves in order to not let stress rule our day. Because Convocation Committee knew this election would be a significant factor in our daily lives, whatever our response, we scheduled two convocations this term around this topic with messages um, uh, that we hope will, will serve us well. On the Wednesday after the election, we'll have um, another convo on this topic about reconciliation and hope, and that'll be the day after the election, so uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Today, we asked three people to speak on the topic of how to stay well here uh, two weeks out. I will introduce them now, um, and then they will come up in the order of introduction. Lynette Showalter is one of our campus counselors here at Goshen College. She holds a master's in social work from Andrews University and her undergrad degree from Goshen. She's served as a counselor in middle and high school settings at Oaklawn Community Men Mental Health and in private practice. 
She has uh, several adult children and grandchildren, and I think um, eight grandchildren are living overseas right now, and in a few months, all of her adult children will be living overseas. So she and uh, her husband, who is also one of our counselors, uh, spend a fair amount of time traveling in other countries. Our second speaker, Julia King, is a Goshen City Council at-large member, representing residents throughout the entire city and not only one district. City Council is the legislative and fiscal body of Goshen, meaning they can pass or rescind local ordinances, they approve the city's annual budget, um, and they also appoint members to various commissions and boards. The City Council's legal authority is collective rather than individual, so they have to set policy together with the majority vote, which gives Julia a lot of um, important experience in collaboration. Prior to serving on the council, she worked as a neighborhood, as the neighborhood outreach coordinator for La Casa, a local community development corporation. She's also a former freelance writer, and her work has been heard on NPR's Morning Edition and PRI's Marketplace. Our final speaker for the morning is Goshen College senior Isaiah Friesen. Isaiah is a peace, justice, conflict studies, and Spanish double major with a minor in Bible, religion, philosophy. He grew up in Beatrice, Nebraska, where his parents run an organic farm. He spent part of his junior year, I think from January to May, studying in Cuba, and then served at Belmont Mennonite Church in Elkhart this past summer for ministry inquiry program. He also sings in men's chorus and runs cross country. I've observed him to be a thoughtful leader on campus who reaches out to others and embraces diversity of viewpoint. I'm grateful he agreed to share with us from a faith perspective this morning. I'll have just a few couple announcements after Isaiah speaks. And as a reminder, we ask you to be respectful and engaged participants this morning with your devices and homework put away and your full attention on our speakers who offer us the gift of their words and ideas. Let's begin with Lynette. Election stress, it's a thing. And we're naming and talking about it in a completely new way in this election. And for more than half of the population, it's very real. Bev already mentioned uh, the survey. The APA, the American Psychological Association, included this question in their annual survey, Stress in America. And 52% of Americans did say that it's negatively impacting their work, their relationships, and their health. According to this survey, this kind of anxiety doesn't seem to be gender specific, but of all things, it appears to be bipartisan. 59% of Republicans and 55% of Democrats say they have it. Age, however, does seem to be a factor. Millennials and people 71 and older are more likely to say the election is a significant source of stress than other age groups. Well, thankfully, there are some creative responses to this stress. I just learned uh, that some meditation and therapy experts at 10percenthappier.com created an app for emergency election stress meditations available for the sole purpose of calming your election stress through meditation, breathing, and relaxation exercises and focuses on things like media control. So we know that people, especially vulnerable during this time, are those who have lived with anxiety before, 
or compulsive social media users. I once asked a group of middle schoolers if they knew what vulnerable meant, and a middle school boy said, I think it means easily bruisable. And I think that sums up what a lot of people are feeling right now. They feel easily bruisable. So the good news is that we can respond in healthy ways. And here's some of my thoughts about living healthfully and holistically during this time. Socially, first of all, choose community over isolation. Set good boundaries when you know that conversations in certain settings will overwhelm you. Do community service, something that we, we understand uh, helps to unite us rather than divide us. Think Mennonite Relief Sale as a good example of that. These many diverse groups of people on this Mennonite continuum unite for a common cause. And lastly, in the social area, if the debates weren't over, I would say, don't watch a debate alone. Physically, move your body. We know that when we sit in one place too long in one position and we're ruminating, we're worrying, it just increases our anxiety. Um, there's an African proverb that says, when I dance, I don't feel so hungry. And I think it's true about worry too. When I move, when I dance, I don't feel so much worry. And have you noticed how awful, how terrible things are in the middle of the night? You're sure that you have a terminal illness or you're sure you shouldn't be in school, you know, things like that. When I feel that way, I've learned that if I get up out of bed and I go to a rocking chair, I can soothe myself. Someone who uh, visited my home noticed that at that time, everything in my living room rocked. I just returned from visiting a son and family in Vietnam two days ago, over fall break, and I wish I could give you each a certificate for a Southeast Asian massage, especially for those of you who are kinesthetically inclined. I also wish I could prescribe a soaking bath, but I understand there aren't too many bathtubs on campus, right? And maybe actually not too many rocking chairs either. But physically, there are things we can do. We can breathe deeply, we can sing, we can dance, we can soak in a hot shower, we can rock when you can, we can relax. Let your body know in whatever way you can that life is very much still worth living. Emotionally, one piece of the elevated stress people feel is that these candidates in particular evoke stronger emotions than most politicians have, it seems, in the past. We're expressing a whole range of difficult emotions. We're feeling angry, anxious, annoyed, triggered, overwhelmed, embarrassed, disappointed, despair, and fearful of the future. These emotions are real and understandable. At the same time, we're encouraged to not catastrophize or awfulize, as Albert Ellis puts it. We're encouraged to remember that whatever happens on November 8th, some things won't change. There will still be some gorgeous leaves. There'll be early morning mist over a pond. There'll be the sound of a barred owl hooting in the woods because creation and nature don't disappoint in the same way that sometimes people do. After election day, there'll still be some beautiful music, some delicious food, and hopefully, your mom or your friend will still love you. Cognitively, 
Besides not awfulizing, focus on what is, not the what ifs. As you think of your values, your beliefs, and your passions, you may be painfully aware of some possible tragic changes that could threaten those. I certainly am. But we don't know that right now. I just picked up this copy yesterday of the record uh, published before fall break, and there's this wonderful article. It's Evan Beck's article. Just happened to sit right in front of him here, and he still has the same T-shirt on as on the picture. <laughs> he said that. I didn't. But he must be in the know with the current anxiety because the title is, We Shouldn't Be Worried About This Election. In fact, he's gone fishing. I mean, that's what the picture shows. So he gives some thoughtful reminders of the check and balance of our three branches of government, focus on local government, um, and, and some other grounded facts that work against all these rash statements that have been made and all the what-ifs floating around. So I really encourage you to read that if you haven't. Focus on what is, be mindful of what is good about today, the three things you're grateful for, as we encourage people who are living with depression to do. Use your emotional energy this week before the election to just go ahead and finish that paper, read a psalm, find a good news story, uh, cut out some media use, and subscribe to a good news source like I just did this week called Inspired Life, there are others I'm sure, that will let you know about positive things happening all around the world. One of those stories I came across last summer when I was feeling really overwhelmed with all the law enforcement stories about killing and being killed, and the setting is Rome, Italy, where the cops were called on an elderly Italian couple who had been heard in hysterics. Uh, when they came to the home, they found a 95-year-old man and his 89-year-old wife in tears, overcome by loneliness and despair over all the world's terrible news. They were isolated, their only company was a TV, and all the bad news from it was just too much for them to bear. The policeman described it this way, they love each other, they've been married 70 years, but when the loneliness is a burden on the heart, it may happen that they lose hope. Officers asked to look in their kitchen pantry and when they found a few simple ingredients, they made a meal of pasta, butter, and cheese and served it to them and cleaned up afterwards. Nothing special, the police said, but with a precious ingredient, their humanity. And they're just many of those stories. I encourage you to look them up. I'd like to close with a personal story. <clears throat> I was helping my son care for three young grandchildren in Morocco four years ago, where they live, when on December 14, 2012, we heard the news of the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting in Newtown, Connecticut. I tried to absorb this horrific account of 20 children between ages six and seven shot to the death and six of their caregivers in this setting where I was at the time of this loving Muslim neighborhood where shopkeepers, sometimes complete strangers to my grandchildren, would cross the street to give them a yogurt or some other treat. I left for home soon after that, seeing people on the flight as I boarded in Paris. Um, with newspapers, their bold headlines, the story was reverberating around the world. And by the time I set foot on American soil at the Detroit airport, I was feeling pretty anxious. I was feeling despondent about my country of origin. It was unraveling, it was falling to pieces. And through those thoughts, music began to break through. Was I hallucinating? It was Gloria, it was angels we have heard on high. It couldn't be on the loudspeaker. Where was that coming from? And I walked toward the music 
I came to the big fountain in the big atrium there in the Detroit airport, and I saw what appeared to be a small group of college students singing Christmas carols in beautiful harmony, a cappella. I pulled out the biggest bill I could find and dropped it in their basket, and then I, there was a pole nearby. I just sat down on the floor, leaned against the pole, and I cried as they continued to sing, Silent Night, Holy Night, all is calm, all is bright. They had touched my heart with hope. And so everywhere I go, I look for pockets of beauty. I look for God. was beautiful. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here today with you. Bev, thank you for the invitation. And I think that we have the same first memory of a presidential election. That one was big in my memory as well, the, the Reagan Carter. So take a deep breath with me. <sighs> so the times we're in feel momentous, don't they? Like so much is way out there beyond our control. At least that's how it feels to me. The last time I spoke here on campus for convocation was right around the time of our 2012 presidential election. That felt momentous too. Every four years, I'm reminded that presidential elections are stressful. They always feel urgent, like we're on the verge of doing something very dangerous like we're sprinting barefoot towards a field of thumbtacks and it's my job to warn everyone. Does anybody else feel like that? So raise your hand if you plan to vote. Very nice. When I was running for city council last year, I knocked on a woman's door to ask her for her vote. She looked at me like I was trying to sell her a set of knives. Oh, I tried that once. She said, scanning me with her eyes. It didn't work. Oh, America, raise your hand if you know that's not how it goes. Everybody put your hand up. <laughs> so is that why we get so stressed? We think it's supposed to be a quick fix, this whole democracy thing, but it's totally not. While preparing for today, I ran across an article about reducing stress during the election. It was one of those five ways to manage stress deals. But all of the suggestions were basically avoidance strategies, not talking politics, not reading the news, focusing only on political agreement, going off to a cabin in the woods, etc. Of course, we've all got to do what we've got to do to stay sane. If you need to step away from the battle, that's okay. But also, we could toughen up just a little bit. We could lean into reality. So let's accept these four things. The shifting of political power is hard and ongoing. Sorting out our differences is uncomfortable. We can only control our own behavior, hopefully. And sometimes, for whatever reasons, we don't get our way. That list helps ground me during political dramas, both nationally and locally, in part because it loops back into itself. If you get to number four, where you don't get your way, 
you go back up to number one and remind yourself that this stuff is hard and it's ongoing, which means you start all over again. City Council spends the bulk of its time dealing with basic, tangible services. We talk potholes and pedestrian crossing signs. We're not usually knee-deep in the things that make people's hearts pound. So that makes it a little bit easier than politics at a higher level. But there's still disagreement. It's just more logistical often than ideological. What issues should be on our agendas and when should the agendas be available to the public? How and when should the city communicate with residents about decisions that affect them? Where should our tax dollars go and why? Well, some of that's ideological. Maybe it's just gentler locally because we live in a relatively small community. Elected officials run into each other at the grocery store. We see one another with our kids and our spouses. Now, I happen to genuinely like my council colleagues, but even if I didn't, I understand that a certain level of civility is mutually beneficial. Nobody wins when it turns mean. I think we can see that in the current political climate, how public displays of pettiness and vulgarity diminish us all. Anyone who works with others to accomplish goals has to be able to separate honest disagreement from meanness. It's okay to disagree, even healthy. It's not okay to call people names or to mock their physical appearance. Something else I try to remember when I'm in a disagreement about a city council matter is this. Everyone is the hero of their own story. On your worst day, when you fail to live up to your own best standards, you give yourself a break ultimately, right? You don't turn yourself into a forever villain because you acted like a jerk because you have to live with yourself. You tell yourself the story of your own good intentions. So I try to do that for others. I'm not claiming I always succeed, but I try, even if I disagree with their goals, their tactics, or their votes. And despite the fact that elections can be nasty, the simple act of voting helps give me peace of mind. And that's true as a council member or as a citizen electing my leaders. It's an expression of my own convictions. It's controlling my own behavior, number three on that list. Of course, voting is just one aspect of democracy. Like anything worthwhile, if you wanna be good at it, you've got, a lot of, you've got to do a lot more than vote. Recently, along with several other elected officials, I spoke with members of student government at Ivy Tech. These are responsible, active, young people who got involved. They told us about their plan to recycle on campus and how they researched and they talked with the administration. They did all the right things and yet no recycling program. They looked at us with these big confused eyes. Welcome to public service, we said. Nothing happens effortlessly. Very few things happen on the first try. So you don't get your way, regroup and go back to the top of that list. Remind yourself that the shifting of power is hard. Making change is hard. Or, I guess you could go off to a cabin in the woods. But I hope you choose to stay, to lean into reality, to accept the stress, and to help build our democracy. Thank you.
was Halloween and the ghosts were out. And everywhere they'd go, they'd shout. And though I covered my eyes, I knew they'd go away. But fear's the only thing I saw. And three days later, t'was clear to all that nothing is as scary as election day. Oh, that's a line from a Nora Jones song I like called uh, My Dear Country that I thought might be relevant this morning. Uh, I'm Isaiah Friesen, I'm a senior here. It's humbling to be here asked to represent the faith perspective. Obviously, I cannot represent all faith perspectives, but I'll do my best coming from the tradition I've been handed, which is the Mennonite one. Uh, while I'm troubled with some aspects of being Mennonite, I've also found this tradition with its approach to the Bible and life in a community of faith to be sustaining through dark times and, and through life. I've found that a faith practice helps me to maintain a rhythm and a sense of grounding in peace, love, and compassion. Since I've been in college, that's mostly meant participating at Belmont Mennonite Church in Elkhart, where I did MIP this summer. Um, often in that sacred space, I hear something in the sermon or in a story someone shares which comforts me or challenges me to deeper action. Uh, I also teach high school Sunday school there now, uh, where I have the privilege of learning from both teachers and uh, the high schoolers every week, my co-teachers and the high schoolers. They'll always surprise you with something good to say. At other times, the music and the lyrics that I share with the worshiping body at Belmont lift me up, speaking to me in a way that I may not have heard at any other time in the week. In the words of Henry David Thoreau, when I hear music, I fear no danger. I am invulnerable. I see no foe. I am related to the earliest times and to the latest. I like to dance too, as well as sing, but I usually have to look for other places to do that than Belmont Mennonite Church. <laughs> uh, political campaigns and the media surrounding them, probably in every election cycle, but especially in this one, uh, appeal to our deepest fears, begging us to oversimplify and generalize everything from policies to people. Uh, they especially beg us to fear the other, be it the terrorist, or a supporter of the opposing party that lives next door. People of faith are called to welcome and reach out to the other, despite deep-seated difference and agreement, disagreement, because the other, too, is a human being, a beloved child of God. I'd like us to hear a little quote from a famous movie character here now. Here is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. You should look up some more Master Yoda videos if you want. You'll probably see him a little differently than you did 10 years ago, which was my experience. I haven't watched Star Wars in a long time, but that, that quote came to mind, and it was like, wow, Master Yoda. <laughs> I watched like 25 minutes of Master Yoda. Now, I, I don't necessarily agree with Master Yoda that anger must lead to hatred of other human beings. He says anger leads to hatred. There are injustices we should be angry about, injustices we should even hate, but that doesn't mean hating the person sitting next to you who is not angry about it in exactly the same way you are. 
When I interact with the other as a person of religious faith, I believe I am called to do so in a way that is both authentic to my sense of justice as well as authentic to my sense of the necessity of treating someone with compassion, of respecting the human dignity of the other. I can't always claim to live up to it, but that's what I believe I'm called to at least. Hatred of fellow human beings does inevitably lead to suffering. There's a famous MLK quote closely related to 1 John 4.18. MLK says, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. What we hear during election season also begs us to fear the party or the politician that we hope won't reach power. You can't let them win. You've got to join our side. Christians and other people of various faith traditions, however, are particularly called to remember that the final truth of our existence has never been defined by the political systems under which we live. Do not be afraid is perhaps the Bible's most common one-liner. The God and Jesus that we find in the Bible not only tell us to fear or worship anyone, no one but God, they remind us that human kings, governors, and presidents are inevitably just that, human. While they are necessary and they do hold great power, <laughs> nuclear weapons and Supreme Court nominations, yikes, they are not by any means perfect or sufficient to care by themselves for all the world's needs. Marginalized people in our society know that their marginalization will likely continue regardless of what party controls the federal government. National level politicians are mostly too far removed to be their closest allies. And yet neither are we excused to dismiss our political systems as irrelevant or not worth our attention because we do have a say and a responsibility in the direction those systems take. While voting is important, it is not the only way to influence the world around us. For me, a faith perspective helps support me in staying engaged and sane, but whether you fancy yourself religious or not, I believe staying active in our communities, engaged with the causes that compel us, caring for the people around us, is part of how we must cope with the troubles we see. Even with so much beyond our control, we can and must still take actions that make a difference in our surrounding. Whether you believe America used to be great, or has yet to become great, or is great already, the work to be done toward the common well-being of humanity neither begins nor ends with the United States of America's 2016 election cycle. We have a quote oft repeated to us in peace studies classes from Rabbi Tarfon, a renowned first century Jewish sage. It is a variation on a verse from Micah 6.8 in the Hebrew scriptures. Micah 6.8 is posted right out there, but this is a quote from Tarfon. Do not be overwhelmed by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now. Love mercy now. Walk humbly now. It is not your obligation to finish the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. Do not be afraid. Thank you for those wonderful words, Lynette, Julia, and Isaiah. Be well, talk to each other, and best wishes as the second half of the term continues. Thank you.